We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. A community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city, for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the midst of our series, The Ten Commandments. Bum, bum, bum. A look at the original commandments and how they align with Christ's law. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message. So as Brandon mentioned, we are continuing in our series on the Ten Commandments. Um, I don't know if you're like me, um, probably most of you maybe have not given the Ten Commandments much thought. You may have seen the movie, like Galen mentioned a couple weeks ago, you know, Charlton, Charles, Charles Heston, or I can't remember his actual name, but, um, or you may have, you know, heard it in a sermon years ago. Um, but we actually, you know, we don't talk about the Ten Commandments all that much directly in the church. So this has actually been a, a cool series to be a part of because it's uh, diving into a part of the Bible that is actually really important for us to know and to understand, um, but that um, we've actually never really done much talking about before. So with that said, I'm just going to uh, open us in a word of prayer as well and ask that you just bow your heads with me. Lord God, we just thank you so much for this beautiful Sunday morning that we get to be outside. Uh, we know that there's still a pandemic going on around us, but we thank you, Lord God, for this awesome privilege of just enjoying um, your creation, even in the midst of brick and mortar and trains running by and cars on the street and dogs barking in the background um, and tennis balls bouncing back and forth, Lord God. Uh, we thank you for this privilege, Lord God, that we have this space and this time. And so we come before you and we, we expect to hear from you, Lord God. We know that you desire to speak into our lives, that you desire to help us to grow in our faith, you desire to encourage us, to inspire us, to convict us. So Lord, we, uh, we come to you expectantly, Lord God. Speak and do a mighty work amongst us this morning. In your name, amen. So this is a picture of Yudia. Uh, she is a 21-year-old mother of two in uh, Indonesia. Maybe over there you guys may not be able to see it. Um, she uh, really before, she, she's part of um, what's called the Compassion International Survivor Program. And before she was part of that program, she really didn't know the importance of hygiene, of keeping a healthy, clean environment. Um, she didn't... Uh, bathe herself. She didn't wash her hands before touching food. She didn't know the importance of boiling water before drinking it. She never had her kids bathe or wash their hands or their feet after playing out in the streets and then coming home. Um, she didn't know that if you didn't keep your body clean, uh, keep a clean environment at home, that you could be susceptible to getting sick. Um, and when she had her first daughter that was born, she wasn't able to give her daughter any of the nutrients or supplements that uh, were important to boost her immune system, so her daughter got very, very sick. But after she joined the um, Compassion International Survival Program, Survivor Program, I believe, um, Survival Program, it's uh, acronym CSP, for her second pregnancy, she was able to get all the help that she needed. She was able to get nutritious food, vitamins, milk. She was able to see a doctor 
uh, during her pregnancy to make sure the pregnancy was going well. And this is her son, Sisipi, who was born after she joined the CSP program. So Sisipi is actually uh, um, made up from that acronym, CSP. They just added the I's in between the letters. And the name means grateful to God. And so she named her son Sisipi because she was so grateful that Compassion International was able to help her and her family and bring her this healthy boy. Uh, Sisipi is not like any other boys in his neighborhood. He, he has more vitality, more strength, more vigor, more endurance, uh, just more energy overall because of the help of Compassion International. Um, but the thing that really stands out is the name. The name that she gave her son was to honor what God had done in her life and what she was grateful for. And so names have significance. Names tell us something. Names um, tell us something or conveys a meaning about the person whose name it is. Now, if you've heard the name Susan Chan, you probably think of her. You know her. She's sitting right here. She's my wife. But if you don't know her, and you hear the name Susan Chan, you're probably thinking of someone that looks like this, someone that looks Asian. So when you think of the name God, when you hear the word God spoken, what images come to your mind? Do you think of a God who created the universe, but yet is distant and disconnected from his creation? Do you think of a God who is fierce and untamed like a lion, but gentle like a lamb? Or do you think of a God who is this all-powerful deity sitting on his throne in heaven, pronouncing judgments and doom on everybody here on earth? So you may or may not be familiar with the context in which the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelite nation. So I want to just give you a brief summary before we continue. The Israelites have been rescued from oppression and slavery from the Egyptians. Uh, they were rescued by Moses walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. God parted the Red Sea. And then when Pharaoh tried to chase them, God drowned Pharaoh and his army. Now the Israelites were called by God to enter into a covenant relationship with God. This was to fulfill God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 to make, um, to bless the nations through Abraham's family. If Israel obeys the terms of the covenant, they will be shaped by God's laws and by his teachings so that they will become a kingdom of priests, which means they will become God's representatives to the rest of the world. And they will be able to show the other nations what God is really like. The Ten Commandments are the basic terms of the covenant between God and Israel and how they are to relate to each other, to shape Israel to be and to live differently than all the other nations around them. And the Ten Commandments are still relevant for us today because that same God redeemed us through the death and resurrection of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. For God and for Moses... Obedience to the Ten Commandments wasn't a precondition to salvation. But it was a grateful re response to those, for those who have already been saved. As it was to the Israelites, it's meant to guide us to live lives 
that are distinct from all the other nations around us so we can accurately reflect the character and nature of the God of the universe. So let's see what the third commandment shows us today about God and about ourselves. So the text was read earlier. This is out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. This is the ESV a translation. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So when we look at this text, this really short verse, the thing I want to um, highlight is that word name. We meant, I mentioned earlier that names convey meaning and they're very important. So in the famous Bible story of Moses and the burning bush, Moses is given a mission by God, as I mentioned earlier, to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. So Moses is standing in front of this burning bush and he's asking God, we're going to go to the text here. This is Exodus 3, 13 to 15. It says, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So I am who I am refers to God's personal name, Yahweh, which speaks of God's self-existence. No beginning, no ending, no becoming, no dependence on anything or anyone outside of himself. His name also speaks of his relationship to his people. He redeemed them. He was faithful to them. He made a covenant with them. His name also reveals that God is personal. He can see. He can hear. He can know. He can speak. He is relational. He is God with a name and a history. Throughout the Bible, we see many other names of God being used, each name reflecting the character of God. So I'm just going to have you close your eyes. I'm going to read out these names. And I want you to really pay attention to your response to these names and what they reveal to you, to us, about God. Elohim, creator of the heavens and the earth, who was in the beginning. El Shaddai, all-powerful one of blessings. Adonai, Lord over all, completely self-existing. Jehovah Jireh, the one who sees my needs and provides for them. Jehovah Rapha, our healer and the one who makes bitter experiences sweet. Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who makes me holy. Jehovah Nisi, my victory, my banner, my standard. Jehovah Shalom, our peace, the peace that exceeds anything we can understand. Jehovah Sitkanu, my righteousness. Jehovah Rofi, my shepherd, and I have everything that I need. 
Jehovah Shammah, the one who will never leave or abandon me. El Elyon, the Most High God, who is possessor and maker of heaven and earth. So how did you respond to these names? You can open your eyes. Did these names instill a sense of awe and wonder? Did they elicit praise from within your hearts? Did they make you want to bow down and worship him? Did they generate a sense of gratitude and thankfulness? First for the Israelites and then for us, this God, Yahweh, creator of the universe, giver of life, giver of all good things, chose Israel to be his people, his kingdom of priests. And through them we were given Jesus, the Son of God, who grafted us, Gentiles, into his family and made us sharers and recipients of this covenant relationship. It's in this context that God spoke to the Israelites and to us these Ten Commandments and this third commandment that we're going to look at this morning. God said, I've revealed myself to you through my name, through my promises, through my love, through my sacrifice, my generosity, through my Son. God's name represents the sum total of his character. So don't take his name in vain. Our response to God's name is influenced by how we receive the revelation of his character. If you received the revelation of his character with awe and worship, then your natural response to his name would be one of gratitude and thankfulness. So the first point was that God's name reflects his character. There's a book written called Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters by Carmen Imes. And in that book, she talks about this particular commandment. And she says there's 23 different ways to interpret this commandment in the Hebrew. And so in regards to this third commandment, I'm really relying on the work of Carmen Imes because it really resonates with me and I feel like it has the best biblical support. So let's look at this text again. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So that word take, I want to start with that. In Hebrew, the word is nasah, which means to lift up. So you can actually translate, well this is in the original Hebrew, is you uh, do not, or I'm sorry, what it says, it says, you shall not lift up or carry the name of Yahweh in vain. There was actually no speech mentioned in the original Hebrew for that commandment. So support for that interpretation comes from Exodus 28:29. I think that I have that up on the screen here. It says, Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. So in that verse, that word bear, that's the same word in Hebrew, nasah, and the word names is the Hebrew word shem. And together, both those words speak about Aaron's priestly robe and specifically that breastpiece that carries the 12 names of the tribes of Israel engraved on stones as he carried the, those names before God and into God's presence. In addition, Aaron and the priest 
after him would wear this golden medallion on their forehead and engraved on this golden medallion would be these words, holy, belonging to God. So not only was Aaron representing the 12 tribes of Israel to God, but Aaron was representing God to the 12 tribes of Israel. So just as Aaron the priest represented God to the 12 tribes of Israel, the people of Israel were meant to represent to be a kingdom of priests and to represent God to the rest of the world. In Deuteronomy, Moses is retelling the story of what happened at Mount Sinai to the next generation of Israelites just as they get ready to take possession of the promised land. And there Moses reminds the Israelites that they are a people wholly belonging to God. And he uses that same phrase that is written on the gold medallion that Aaron the priests wore. So the representative function of the nation of Israel is made even clearer in Exodus 19. This is Exodus 19, 4 to 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So the word that really stands out to me is this word treasured possession. Again, in Hebrew, that's the word segula, and it's a word used in the context of a treaty where someone is designated as the king's authorized representative. So just as Aaron nasad or carried or lifted the name of God, the, God is calling symbolically on his people to carry his name. Just as God's name reflects his character, this is the second point this morning, as image bearers of God, we are called to reflect God's character in our lives. So we bear God's name. This commandment is connected to Genesis 1 and 2 as image bearers, children of God, and our identity as the ones carrying God's name and what he wants to do in mission in the world. There is so much more weight to this third commandment than just the responsibility we can choose to obey or not. We actually bear God's name. Throughout Scripture, God has placed His name on key people and places, such as the people of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, the temple, and yes, the Gentiles. In Amos 9, you can do some research if you want. So all the way back in the Old Testament, we were actually anticipated and included in part of that covenant relationship. So this putting God's name and key people can be connected to actually number six, where God prescribes through Moses the priestly blessing that Aaron is to pronounce over the people. And this is a blessing you guys have heard before. A song was done to this. This is um, number 6, 22 to 26. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you 
and give you peace. Then the very next verse 27 says, So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. It's the clearest place in Scripture where you get an explicit reference to putting God's name on his people. So in this passage, the priest is proclaiming God's blessing on his people by using his divine name three times, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. And it's almost like a verbal branding of his people with his name. So at Sinai, it's as though God put an invisible tattoo on the Israelites to claim ownership of them. As followers of Jesus, you and I have this invisible tattoo on us. Can you see and feel the weight of this commandment? It's not simply, like I said earlier, a responsibility we can choose to carry out or not. As followers of Jesus, this idea of having God's name put on us or bearing God's invisible tattoo brings so much weight to what it means to not take his name in vain. So as image bearers of God, what does it mean to not take the name of the Lord in vain? The Hebrew word in vain is the word lashav, which actually means ineffectively. So essentially God is saying, you're supposed to be my representatives, but you're not doing it very well. You're doing it ineffectively, living like your pagan neighbors instead of representing what I am like. You're not representing me well. I'm going to read some scripture here, which is a, more of a descriptive picture of how Israel took God's name in vain. This is from 2 Kings 17.15. It says, They rejected his decrees and the covenant he made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. This is 2 Kings 17.32-33. They worshipped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worshipped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. And then 2 Kings 17.40-41. They would not listen, however, but persisted in their former practices. Now these verses are pretty explicit in how uh, in the picture it presents of how Israel um, took the Lord's name in vain. But in our context today, you might be thinking, well, how do we do that? How do we take God's name in vain? And this leads me to my um, third point for today. This third commandment, it teaches us about God's character because his name reflects his character. But also teaches us about us as image bearers of God. Because as image bearers of God, we reflect God's character. So whether or not you think you're complying with or obeying this third commandment is determined by who we are becoming. You see, the Ten Commandments, as I mentioned earlier, earlier is not a means of salvation. It teaches, it, it's, um, oops, sorry. 
It's not a means of salvation, but God already saved the Israelites when he gave them the Ten Commandments. He rescued them from slavery and oppression. And he gave them the Ten Commandments to show them how to relate in their vertical relationship with God and in their horizontal relationship with each other and with all the other nations around them. So just like the Israelites, as followers of Jesus, we've been given a new identity. We are now children of God. And as such, God desires for us to represent Him well. So how do we do that? How do we represent God well? How do we not carry His name in vain? Well, I think the answer is Jesus. I mean, actually, that's a safe answer in church to say all the time. But truly is Jesus, looking at Jesus and at his life and becoming more like Jesus. How are you representing God in your workplace? How are you representing God when you're driving to work or running errands and there's tons of traffic around you? How are you representing God when you are approached by a homeless person and they're asking you for handout? How are you representing God when you are at home with your spouse or your roommate or your kids? How are you representing God with your money, your time, your talents, your priorities? How are you representing God with the movies you're watching, the music you're listening to, the books you're reading, the recreation you're choosing to participate in? Israel was called to bear God's name, not in vain, but toward some purpose or end. And their history of unfaithfulness as a kingdom of priests and a failure to do so dishonored God or profaned God's name. And Jesus steps into that story of failure and sees himself as that priestly royal representative who will restore the holiness of God's name among the nations. So in Jesus, we see this model of hallowing God's name, which is the opposite of taking God's name in vain. It's making it holy again. So you might be thinking, well, God is God. How did his name become unholy? Well, to answer that question, we're going to have to look at another passage in Ezekiel 36. This is Ezekiel 36.20. No, oh, sorry, I thought I had that up there. Let me read that to you. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. So Israel, Israel was taken into exile. And as a result, the other nations around them were seeing that God's chosen people were taken out of the promised land. So God's reputation was suffering was being profaned. His name was being defiled, was being unsanctified because it looked like God was weak. He wasn't very strong. He couldn't keep his people in the promised land. But later on in this passage, God declares that he will bring Israel back into the promised land, not because they deserve it, but to right his reputation. He needs the nations to know who he really is. So in Ezekiel 36, 23, 
It reads, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So this is a really important passage that bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament all the way up to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9-13. through 13. In that passage, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray by saying, Hallowed be your name. As I mentioned earlier, that's the opposite of profaning God's name. That's honoring God's name, making it holy again. God's name has been profaned by Israel's covenant unfaithfulness and by them being taken into exile. So the opposite of that would be to bear God's name well, to demonstrate covenant faithfulness. So we see in the New Testament that Jesus is committing himself to the re-sanctification or the hallowing of God's name. And he's teaching us to pray that prayer as a reminder that as children of God, we are to be committed to bear God's name. And it's just an awesome picture as you see the connection from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from one commandment to Jesus and his prayer in the New, in the New Testament. So we have this continuing a story from the beginning to end. And it's something that I think as I've grown in my faith, something that I've really come to appreciate. Sometimes we, you know, we kind of get stuck. You know, we're, in, we're living under grace. And so we put all of our attention on the New Testament, but forget that all that is connected to the Old Testament. And that God had planned all this from the very beginning. So this first two commandments can be summarized as, I'm your God. And this third commandment that we're looking at today can be summarized as, you're my people. So it's this covenant formula. I'm your God, you're my people. So obedience to this commandment, to this third commandment, is so much broader than just not using God's name in vain or using God's name as a swear word. It's about living as his image bearers in representing his character in all aspects of our lives. Man, that's, that's, a, that's such a broader understanding of this commandment. I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, you know, I think we were probably taught this, but what stuck in my mind was, yeah, don't use God's name as a swear word. And that was the thing that was emphasized. But it's so much more than that. We are image bearers of God. We've been given, branded, if you will, by God, tattooed with God's name. And he's calling us to follow the example of Jesus in hallowing his name, in making it holy again. So to become more like Jesus, we need to be in relationship with Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. We need to adopt his lifestyle I'm going to share a quote. This is from John Mark Comer. He wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says, The Western church has lost sight of the fact that the way of Jesus is just that, a way of life. It's not just a set of ideas, what we call theology. It's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts, what we call ethics. I mean, it is that, but it's so much more. 
It's a way of life based on that of Jesus himself, a lifestyle. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Picture a vine and picture a branch. The health and vitality of that branch is dependent on its connection to the vine. The fruit or flowers that that branch will produce is dependent on its connection to that vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. In order for us to grow or to bear fruit, we need to be connected to Jesus. Think spiritual formation. Everything we do is a form of spiritual formation. It shapes us, it molds us. Are you incorporating practices and habits into your life that are forming you in such a way that you are becoming more like Jesus? Praying, reading God's word, worship, gathering in community with other believers. Those are internal practices that shape us from the inside and a little bit from the outside. But how do we hollow God's name externally? That's spelled out a little bit more explicitly in John 15, 9 through 12. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So we are to hollow God's name by keeping his command. And what command is that? To love sacrificially as Jesus loved us. In Galatians, Paul tells us that we can't do this on our own strength. Hallowing God's name, it needs to be accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And Paul gives us a clear picture of what it looks like to not hallow God's name through our life and what it looks like when we are led by the Spirit and abiding in Jesus. We bear fruit that honors God. We represent Him well. We hallow His name. So let's look at Galatians you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, 
factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So the third commandment, as I mentioned before, it's so much more than just not using God's name in vain. It's so much more than not using God's name for an oath that you don't plan to keep. We are tattooed. We have been branded by God. If you are a follower of Jesus and his image bearers of God, God is calling us to bear his name well. If you can remember anything from this morning, as you go through your day today, as you go through your week, think about who am I becoming. When you are in the midst of conflict, when you are being asked to do something that you really don't want to do, or when you are feeling stressed or worried, or you're bored and you have all this time on your hands, who are you becoming? God is asking us to represent Him well in everything we do, in every minute of the day. But it's not in our own strength. It's through the strength of the Holy Spirit in us. I'm going to close with this quote from Carmen Imes. She's the author of that book I mentioned earlier. She says, If you get your worship right, and you get your identity and vocation right as God's name bearer, everything else comes from that. So all these, New Test all these um, Ten Commandments, they are interconnected. They're not independent commandments where you can take and pick and choose what you want to follow or, or even ascribe to or believe in. They are all connected to change us, to mold us, to shape us, to be like God, so that we are representing him well, so that we too can be a kingdom of priests to bless the nations. One way we can, um, one of the spiritual habits, if you will, that we practice corporately here that helps to form and shape us is communion. So if you haven't received your communion cup, you can raise your hand and Lena will bring one to you at home if you um, haven't gotten your communion elements ready, you can go ahead and grab those. And so this is a time where we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, we don't want to isolate you or prevent you from participating in this, but we want to ask that you will, that you do refrain if you um, can, because this is really meant for those who have given their life to Jesus, who have already made a commitment to follow Jesus. 
And if you haven't done that yet, you need to do something even more important, and that is to consider what it means to follow Jesus and to ask Him to be the Lord of your life and to give Him, um, you know, someone, some use the analogy of the, the driver's seat of your life and to ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior and to receive the gift of salvation that He's offered to all of us, to all the world. And I love that picture, you know, when we think back to the, the context with which this, these Ten Commandments were given in. God didn't say to the Israelites, okay, here are the Ten Commandments, sign on the dot, then I'm going to rescue you out of Egypt. He rescued them out of Egypt, then he gave them the Ten Commandments. God doesn't wait for us to make ourselves better, to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and say, okay, God, I've taken care of all the issues in my life, here I am. God wants you to come to him just as you are with all the garbage, with all the baggage, with all the hang-ups that you have. And he says, here, I love you. Take this gift of salvation. And that's what we're celebrating this morning as we take the communion. And the night before he was to be betrayed, Jesus broke the bread. He broke the bread in two and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same manner, he poured out the wine and he said, This is my blood poured out for you. God's blood was shed on our behalf. And this morning we remember and celebrate that gift that we have, been, that we have received through his death and resurrection. Take the cup. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you for not waiting for us to get our act together, but for loving us just as we are. In return, through your Holy Spirit, help us to be faithful image bearers of your name, to honor you in everything we do so that we can represent you well and also bless the nations around us so that others may come to know you, to come to receive your love and your gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing amongst us this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are present, that you are moving, that you are touching hearts. We thank you that your word, in your word, you said that your word does not return void, 
that when it's spoken, it is meant to change us, to transform us. So Lord God, we continue to position ourselves before you this morning to receive from you, to hear from you, and to bless your name. Amen. You have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.